come from? Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? It came from outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. The from outer space. Rolling. And here we go. And welcome back to the podcast from outer space. It's your boy, Rob Scott. We got the Korean cowboy in the studio. What's going on, gentlemen? I'm stoked for this spooky tail day we got going on. <laughs> tail day. And, <laughs> and as always, it's Ryan Scott. Aloha, everybody. And welcome, Loyal Legion, to episode 120, where we will be discussing scary stories for scary people. Yes, we are well into October, and so on this episode... As Rob and Billy have both alluded to, we are offering up some scary stories to all the October psychos out there. Um, And hopefully, you know, these will scare the piss right out of you. I mean, I've been scouring the interwebs trying to find some scary stories. We got some personal experiences. Uh, We got everything. We're running the gambit in this episode of, as Billy said, spooky tales. Um, So turn the lights out. Grab a candle. Because we are getting creepy as we regale each other with tales of terror and tragedy. Now, before we kind of get into our tales, I want to quickly pose a question to you guys. Because I was thinking about this. What is the scariest thing you have ever heard or read? True or fictional has to be a story that you heard or read. TV or like a movie doesn't count. What do we got for that? Sleep entities, hands down. Are you all familiar? Have you heard of them? I am familiar. I think we just, I cannot remember. I mean, you know, we've done 120 episodes, so I think we got into sleep paralysis. Like one time I shared my experiences. I've had, I used to get it a lot when I was uh, fresh out of high school. Mm -hmm. I think it was because I was taking a fair amount of melatonin, which is like, uh, can induce that guy was doing a lot of drugs yeah but i i've heard some crazy stories i've read some crazy stories that is very scary and it's a very frightening experience and i've actually had uh one sleep paralysis experience i didn't see anything i thought i saw like a shadow kind of figure on the other side of the room but i couldn't move and it was creepy but to get back into sleep entities and why i personally think they're one of the most terrifying things ever is uh Essentially, the the story goes, and this has been reported throughout the world, uh, you know, for hundreds of years, maybe even thousands, but I'm pretty sure hundreds, because there's there's supposed like paintings of people sleeping with a gargoyle looking entity on top of them, which is supposed to be alluding to the sleep entity. So. Essentially, these things have been around all over the world through all different cultures, been talked about for hundreds of years, and it all involves, you know, you're sleeping, you you wake up, but you can't move, you're, you're paralyzed, and the only thing you can really do is move your eyes sometimes, from what I hear, and these entities appear in your room, and there's two main types of entities that have been reported. The first one is what they call the tall, skinny man. So he's basically a shadow man that's tall and he's like wearing a top hat and he appears in the corner of your room. 
And what he does is he sits on your chest so it feels like you're suffocating. And he does that repeatedly for what seems like hours and hours. And then eventually you wake up and you're fine. The other one is the old hag, which is this supposedly decrepit old woman that looks super scary, kind of like your stereotypical witch, for you know, lack of a better term. If she appears in your room, then she approaches you while you're sleeping and just starts scratching your face and scratching you like crazy. And it's just, it's crazy because I saw a documentary about it when I was a kid. I mean, this was probably late 90s. It was on TV. And just the sheer amount of people reporting the same entities. It's a little weird. Yeah, I didn't, I never seen the old hag, but I have seen just like a shadow figure. Like when I had it one time, I just saw like a shadow figure in the corner moving closer and closer. Uh, But I would definitely say like being paralyzed or the feeling of that is the most like frightening aspect. And I've heard some crazy or read some crazy stories on the internet about sleep paralysis, but uh, that is definitely a scary one. Are we strictly going off stories or like urban legend type shit? Yeah, just like the scariest thing you've read or heard that really like gave you the creeps. I think when I was younger, like when we first started watching horror movies and stuff all the time, I think what scared me the most of anything was uh, like exorcism stories because like... Because you're a believer. You're a spirit believer, uh, spiritualist, you could say, you know. <laughs> I wouldn't say spiritualist. <laughs> you don't fuck with Ouija. Spiritualist. Yeah, rob the spiritualist. I don't fuck with the demon. But no, but I just think like, okay, like Michael Myers or fucking Jason isn't going to come busting in your house in the middle of the night. But like the- That you like, know of. The thought of like being possessed is like- you can't really see it and you don't know when it's going to happen. And it just is like something that's just like looming in the darkness. And like, there's been so many reported cases of it. So many movies, so many like horror stories about it. And it's like, to me, that was always like the most realistic thing. And I was just like, damn dude, that's fucking wild to me that like this entity can just come control your body. And like, you can't really do shit about it. Okay. So the Christian dogma, the fire and brimstone is really getting to you. That's what really scared you. The Bible instilled a good amount of fear in you. I mean, I don't think it was that. I was just, I think <laughs> it's like the, the aspect, like if you see a ghost, you can actually see it. If you, if like a fucking serial killer is coming after you, you see it and you have like a chance to get away. This is like something that just like kind of takes over without like any consent or warning, you know? Okay. Well, I will say. Dude, you've seen The Exorcist? Training manual. The power of Christ compels you. The power of Christ compels you. That's all you have to say. The demon's fucking gone, dude. They hate Jesus Christ. (laughs) Also, keep like a reserve uh, supply of holy water, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Boom. Or holy oil. I've heard works as well. Holy oil. Never heard that one. Apparently, the... uh... The box that they keep Annabelle in is stained with holy oil from fucking Jerusalem. Yeah, holy oil and holy KY jelly, I hear. (laughs) 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 Um, 
the po- the Pope's personal astroglide. Yeah, that's awesome. So for me, I one of the stories is in here, which I believe we will end on. Uh, but the other things that have creeped me out that I've read was one, the Hinter KFAC murders. I don't know if you guys have ever read into that. It's just like old timey murder. I forget. It's like got to be early 1900s, maybe 1800s in Germany. And this like secluded farmhouse. And these people heard like footsteps and the dad saw like footprints in the snow that just disappeared at the woods. And then later... The whole family wound up murdered. I mean, look into it. I read the Wikipedia one time in broad daylight. Scared the fuck out of me. I felt like somebody was like in my house watching me. Yeah, I I do remember hearing about that. I'm pretty sure that they thought that it may have been like a squatter or a passerby or something like that. Yeah, and he like lived in the house while once he killed them because the neighbor reported like smoke coming out of the chimney but this was like after they would have been dead i guess mm-hmm. pretty freaky um the other one i'm sure you guys have heard of the watcher uh have you guys ever heard of that they made a show on netflix about it uh i've heard of it i haven't seen the show that's the one uh where the guy's like leaving them notes in the mailbox right yeah yeah the the show was actually kind of dog shit um it did not i think I thought it was all right <laughs> I don't, it was okay yeah but the story the cut did like an article i think it was from the new yorker or something uh, once again this is something i read in broad daylight and it actually gave me the creeps dude like pretty scary google it if you get the chance the watcher if you want some scary reading content um and then i guess the third one i'll throw in here I, for the life of me, could not find the original story or I would have put it in here in its entirety, but it was basically like somebody on Reddit told the story about how they moved to a new house and they would look out their bedroom window at night and watch fireflies burning at the edge of the woods. Um, And then later they went outside and the ground was just littered with cigarette butts. So it wasn't fireflies. It was somebody watching them in their bedroom just having a cigarette every night for months. Jesus Christ. (laughs) I mean, again. That's so weird. That's so creepy. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's true because it's coming from Reddit. So it could have been just like a creepypasta, but scary, dude. Scary stuff to say the least. Um, So... Let us get into some of these tales. Let's regale each other with our scary stories. Um, Billy, we want to start this off? Yes, sir. And uh, this is actually a personal experience of mine. And I'm, I'm going to give a little bit of backstory, a little context here. I actually got two stories to tell, um, but they both involve the same mutual friend of Rob, Ryan, and mine. Because uh, for all those listeners out there who don't know... We all, you know, the three of us went to high school together, and uh, the person who I'm talking about that's involved in this in the story, his name's Nick. He was a friend of ours. So, yep. Shout out Nick Bankowski. Uh, these guys were all in a metal band together. <laughs> Super fucking metal. They were into demons and shit growing up. Although I guess you guys were straight edge, so maybe not necessarily like death metal. But uh, but yeah, shout out Nick Bankowski. Absolutely. Awesome bassist. We had Rob as a screamer. He was front and center, strength from distress, SFD for life. Um, That was our metal band name. But anyways, back to the story. Uh, This was senior year of high school, 
and I would always, you know, hang out with Nick. We would hang out. I would go over to his house on the weekends. And after a little while, Nick and his mom started talking about this ghost, you know, the ghost in the house, the ghost girl, kind of just not, you know, not making a big deal out of it, kind of just talking about it, like, matter of factly, like, oh, yeah, you know, heard some stuff from the ghost girl last night. And I was kind of like, well, um, what? And both Nick and his mom would always say that there's just this girl, this like teenage girl wearing this white gown or black gown, like dress with like long hair. Yeah, that was black. That would uh, just dress. It was black. Black dress. Okay. It was black. Long black dress. Long black hair. You know, kind of like. All right, we're, we're like we're we're edging on uh, we're edging on like the ring. You feel me? You know, okay, kind of thing. Okay. But. Anyway, so they, you know, Nick would always say that she'd pop up in the middle of the night in his room, or sometimes she would pop up in broad daylight, just walking through the house, like clanging pots and pans, just moving stuff around. The whole, the, you know, the, the whole stereotypical poltergeist shebang. Right. When I first heard it, I was kind of like, "That's creepy," right? But I never experienced anything for a while until the first instance. This is the first story I'm telling. So. Nick's bedroom was the frog or the finished room over the garage for anyone that doesn't know that acronym. And (laughs) we would, whenever I'd spend the night, we would just hang out in his room. And this was like one or two in the morning. Like we were up really late and it's just Nick and Nick and myself hanging out in his room. Yeah. Watching some stupid ass, whatever, listen to some stupid ass metal bands. And his family, he had a sister, a younger sister and and a mom. I don't remember a father there. I think it was just a mom. He um, had a. He had a. He also had a dad. <laughs> His dad was there. <laughs> well, I I I never saw him. Okay. I never saw like. So he wasn't there when you were staying the night. This night is what you're saying. Exactly. So okay. it was just his mom and his sister. Okay. Okay. And this was one, two in the morning. So they're they're fast asleep. They're not up. So all of a sudden, we hear clanging in the kitchen downstairs, like pots and pans falling on the ground, cabinets opening, just a lot of a lot of noise. And of course, that startled us. We're like, what the hell is that? We go down the steps to check it out. We turn the corner, and there's like two pots on the ground, one's upside down. There's like a couple cabinets open. And I just remember looking at Nick and being like, what just happened? And he goes, oh, dude, it's her, man. It's her. I told you about the girl, you know, the ghost girl in my house. Uh-huh. So, you know, needless to say that night, it was a little creeped out. But I still went back over to his house. Like, that didn't scare me off, off completely. The second story is what scared me off completely. And I actually never went back to Nick's house after the second story. So... This had to have been a couple months after the first incident, but it was a sleepover Saturday night. I was, you know, sleeping on his, he had like one of those lazy, lazy boy recliners and I would sleep on that reclined all the way back with a blanket. And I just remember one night I woke up and it was pitch black in his room, middle of the night. And I just wake up to this like giant like, first of all, I was paralyzed. Like, I couldn't move, and it was, like, super cold, just icy cold. Okay. And I just remember seeing this big shadow 
like just a presence just literally hovering above me like i just felt like it was watching me sleep like it was just there and it was just watching me and there was nothing i could do about it and i got a very malevolent like bad vibe from whatever it was and it felt like hours but i ended up falling asleep and i woke up and told nick about it and he was like yeah it's her man and after that I never, I don't even think I ever went back to his house after that happened. <laughs> okay. Now. And why would you? Now, it, to me, it sounds like the second spat was a bit of sleep paralysis. Yeah. It definitely was. And like I said, I felt something present above me. And it was like, I. it's kind of burned in my memory. It was like this black kind of cloudy looking thing just kind of hovering above me a shadow figure a shadow figure but like i couldn't discern like a shape it was just kind of like a big blob jesus well but, at least it wasn't an old hag scratching your face <laughs> yeah <laughs> may have been the old hag but either way it was terrifying as hell i'm pretty sure rob had had saw her too yeah um we were same thing, you know, hanging out at his house one day. Like when you come up the stairs through his front door, there off to the left is like a computer room, and next to that was the bathroom. And then his sister's room is like to the right of the computer room. And just me and Nick were in the house, and I saw her walk from his sister's room to the bathroom. And I was like, yo, I think, like, is your sister home? And he was like, she's not home for like an hour or something. And I was like, yo, a girl just walked into the bathroom and he was like, that's her, that's her. And like, we got up and then in the bathroom is like nothing, but the window was open and we were just like, what the fuck? And then like years later, probably like 10 or 12 years later, I was like back home, like visiting my parents and stuff. And I ran into his mom. Eventually, they did have, like, a paranormal investigator team come to the house. And apparently, like, what they told them was that it was, like, a greeter ghost that was, like, basically not a harmful spirit, but, like, still able to, like, move stuff around and, like, show that their presence is there kind of thing. So, uh, to my knowledge, they still live in that. Like, at least his parents still live in the house, which is, like crazy to me because if all that shit happened to me i would definitely be out of there okay so that's a little creepy now i will say personally and again maybe it's because i'm not a believer i never i spent the night on his recliner many a times and i never uh saw this ghost i do remember the stories and i do remember trying to fucking you know egg the ghost on i wanted to see this fucking thing but i never saw anything well Interesting. I well, Rob and I did, and let me tell you what I remember that. <laughs> yeah, it, maybe may, it may have been in my head, but it was. Who knows? It may have been kind of a pareidolia type of phenomena or something. But all right, yeah. Either there, way, it was terrifying. Some creepy real life ghost stories. Maybe, maybe one day I'll have to do some digging, go through the microfilm at the uh, library, and try to find like old articles. Maybe we find some crazy like old farmhouse that used to be on the land or something. Um, I'm wait, Rob didn't didn't his mom say that a girl had died in the house in like the seventies or am I not remembering that right? Uh, I mean, 
not not to my knowledge, but it wouldn't surprise me. I don't think the house is that old because that whole neighborhood development was probably not around until the eighties. It may have been the eighties. I don't know. It for some reason I remember hearing that, but I don't know if we'll have to just hit up Nick and. She also said that the, gist. the um the paranormal experts that came out said that it's like it could be something that's like attached to one of the members of the house so that it's like it's not like the house that's haunted it's just like someone or something that's like latched on to the family i guess which that's even fucking creepier yeah probably latched on to nick all the fucking metal music you know <laughs> jesus Christ. yeah conjuring them <laughs> demons all right all right what do we got next up uh this story is something that i pulled from nightmare magazine uh it's a little short story a little scary story for you guys and the title of the story is lacrimosa by sylvia moreno garcia lacrimosa that's that uh mozart song right it is. It's a. I think it's like roughly translates to like the sadness of like someone dying, or okay. like the sadness of death. Basically, All right. maybe we get a little of that playing in mm. the background of your story. Okay. All right. What do we got? The woman is a mound of dirt and rags, pushing a squeaky shopping cart. A lump that moves steadily, slowly forward, as if dragged by an invisible tide. Her long, greasy hair hides her face, but Ramon can feel her staring at him. He looks ahead. The best thing to do with the homeless mob littering Vancouver is to ignore it. Give a buck to the beggars, and they cling to you like barnacles. Have you seen my children? Her voice, like sandpaper against his ears, makes him shiver. His heart jolts as though someone has pricked it with a needle. He continues walking, but much faster now. It isn't until he's shoving the milk inside the fridge that he realizes why the woman's words have upset him. She reminds him of Yorona. He hasn't thought of her in years, not since he was a child living in Potrero. Every town had a story about Yorona. The most common tale was that she drowned her children in a river and afterwards wandered the town searching for them at night. Her pitiful cries are a warning and an omen. Camillo, Roman's great uncle, swore on his mother's grave that he met her while riding home one night. It was the rainy season when the rivers overflow and Camillo was forced to take a secondary unfamiliar road. He spotted a woman in white bending over some nopales at the side of a lonely path. Her face was covered in spines of the prickly pears she had savagely bitten. She turned around and smiled, blood dripping from her open mouth, stained her white shirt. Jesus. This was the kind of story locals whispered around Potrero. It was utter nonsense, especially coming from the lips of a chronic alcoholic like Camillo. But it was explosive stuff for an eight-year-old boy who stayed up late to watch the worn out black and white horror flicks on his television set however to think about Yorona there in the middle of the city between the sky train tracks and the pawn shops was ridiculous Ramon never packed ghost stories with his suitcase and Potrero the Yorona were very far away he sees the homeless woman sitting beneath a narrow ledge shielding herself from the rain she weeps and clutches a plastic bag as though it was a newborn have you seen my children as he rushes by 
clutching his umbrella. Nearby, a man is asleep by an abandoned store, an ugly dog curled next to him. The downtown homeless peek at Ramon from the shadows as he steps over old cigarette butts. They say it's an upcoming neighborhood, but each day he spots a new beggar wielding an empty paper cup in his face. It was disgraceful, he thought. This is the very reason why he left Mexico. He escaped the stinking misery of his childhood and the tiny bedroom and his black and white TV set that he had to share with his cousins. Behind his house, there were prickly pears and emptiness. No roads, no buildings, barren nothing swallowed by the purple horizon. It was easy to bru- it was easy to believe that Yorona roamed there, but not in Vancouver, which is new, shiny, foaming with lattes and tiny condos. The dogs were howling. They'd scare him, wild, stray animals that roamed the back of the house at nights. His uncle told him the dogs howled when they saw the Yorona. Ramon runs to the girl's room and sneaks into his mother's bed, terrified of the noise. His mother would hold him in her arms as he fell asleep. But when he wakes up, Ramon was in his apartment. There is only one dog, his neighbor's Doberman, barking. He rolled to the center of bed, staring at the ceiling. A week later, Ramon spots the woman, her arms wrapped around her knees. My children! With her cloud of dirty hair obscuring her face. Where are my children? Nauseating in her madness, a disgusting sight growing like a canker sore and invading his streets, just like the other homeless littering littering the area, the man in front of the drugstore that always asks for spare change even though Ramon never gives him any, or the gnarled man beneath the familiar blanket eternally sleeping in the shade of the burger joint. The city is heading to a gutter, he thought. Sure, it looks pretty from afar with its tall glass buildings and its mountains, but below there is depressing stew of junkies and panhandlers that mars the views. It reminded him of Potrero and the bedroom with the leaky ceiling. He stared at that small yellow leak which grew to become an obscene dark patch above his head until one day he grabbed all of his things and headed north. He felt like repeating his useful impulsiveness, gathering his belongings in a duffel bag and leaving the gray skies of Vancouver. But he had the condo which would fetch a killing one day if he was patient. His job, all the other anchors, that man pushing 40 can accumulate. A few years before, maybe, now it seemed like a colossal waste of time. Ramon tried to comfort himself with the thought that one day when he retires, he would move to a tropical island of pristine white beaches, blue-green seas where the wrecks of humanity would never wash ashore. He went to buy groceries, and there she is, picking cans out of the garbage in the alley behind the supermarket, Yarona. He used to send postcards to his mother every year when he was younger and had newly arrived in the States. He couldn't send money because dishwashing didn't leave you with many spare dollars, and he couldn't phone often because he rented a room in a house and there was no phone jack. If he wanted to make a call, he would have to use the payphone across the street. Instead, he would send postcards. Carmen didn't like it. His sister complained about his lack of financial support for their mother. Why do I have to take care of mom? Why is it me stuck in the house with her, she would ask him. Don't be melodramatic. You love living with mom. No, you're off in California and you never send a goddamn cent. Life ain't easy up here. It ain't easy here either, Ramon. You're just like all the other shitty men in Mexico, taking off and leaving the land and the women behind. Who will take care of mother when she gets old and sick? Who's going to clean the house and dust it then? With what fucking money? I can't do it anymore, Ramon. Goodbye, Carmen. There's some things that you can't get rid of, Ramon, his sister yelled.
He didn't call after that. Soon he would be heading to another city, and by the time he reached Canada, he didn't even bother sending postcards anymore. He figured he would one day, but the things got in the way, and years later he thought it would be even worse if he tried to phone. And what would they talk about now? It had been ages since he left his home and his sister and his cousins and lived in Potrero. He'd gotten rid of the layers and layers of the old Ramon and was molding into a new man. But maybe Carmen had been right. Maybe there's some things you can't get rid of. Certain memories, stories, fears that cling to skin like old scars. These things will follow you. Maybe ghosts can follow you too. It's a bad afternoon. Assholes at work and assholes in the street. And then there's a heavy, disgusting rain pouring down. Almost a sludge that swallows the sidewalks. He's lost his umbrella and walks with his hands jammed into his jacket pockets, head down. Four more blocks and he'll be home. That's when Ramon hears the squeal, a high-pitched noise, a shriek almost, a moan. It's a sound he's never heard before. What the fuck is that? He turns around and it's the old woman again, the one he's nicknamed Yorona, pushing her shopping cart. Squeak, squeak, goes the cart, matching his steps. A metallic chirping echoed by a low mumble. Children, children. A metallic chant with an old rhythm. He walks faster. The cart begins to match his pace as the wheels roll. He doubles his efforts, hurrying across the street before the light changes. The cart groans closer than before, nipping at his heels almost. He thinks she's about to hit him with the damn thing, and then all of a sudden the sound stops. He looks over his shoulder. The old woman is gone. She has veered into an alley, vanishing behind a large dumpster. Ramon runs home. He hears the dogs howling again. The howl that is a wail, the wind roars like a demon, rain scratching the windows, begging to be let in. He lies under the covers, terrified. He feels his mother's arms around his body, her hands smoothing his hair, just like he did when he was a scared little boy, terrified of the phantoms that wander through the plains. His mother's hand pats his own, but her hand is bony, gnarled, long fingers with filthy nails, caked with dirt, the smell of mud, putrid garbage, and mold hit him hard he looks up to his mother and her hair is a tangle of gray her yellow smile paints the dark he leaps from the bed when he hits the floor he realizes the room is filled with at least three inches of water have you seen my children the thing in his bed asks the dogs howl again as he wakes up his face buried in the pillow he now takes a cab to work he feels safer that way the streets are her domain she owns the alleys when he goes to lunch He looks at the puddles, and he thinks about the babies drowned in the water, corpses floating down a silver river. Don't ever let the Yorona look at you, his uncle once said. Once she's seen you, she'll follow you home and haunt you to death, little boy. Oh, my children! She'll scream as she drags you to the river. But he'd left her behind in Potrero. He thought he'd left her behind. He tries to recall if there is a charm or a remedy against the evil spirit. His uncle had never mentioned one. The only cure he knew was his mother's embrace. There, there, little one, she would say, as he nests safe against her while the river overflowed and the lightning traced snakes in the sky. In the morning, there is a patch of sunlight. Ramon dares to walk a few blocks, but even with the rain, the city feels washed out. Its color has been drained. It resembles the monochromatic images they broadcast on the cheap television of his youth. Even though he does not bump into her, the Yorona's presence lays thick over the streets, pieces of darkness clinging to the walls and the dumpsters and the alleys. 
It even seems to spread over the people, the glassy eyes of a binner reflect in a river instead of the bricks of a building. He hurries back home and locks the door, but when it rains again, water begins leaking into the living room, just a few little drips drifting into his apartment. He wipes his floor clean. More water seeps in like a festering boil cut and an, and an oozing disease. The Yorona stands guard in the alley. She is a lump in the night looking up at his apartment window. He feels her through the concrete walls and the glass looking for him. He fishes for the old notebook with the smudge and forgotten number, the rain splashing against his building as the wind cries like a woman. The dial tone is loud against her, his ear. More than 10 years has passed. He has no idea what he'll say. He doesn't even un- understand what he wants to ask. He can't politely request the ship to, to ship the ghost back to Mexico. As he dials, he finds the number has been disconnected. He thinks about Carmen and his mother and the dusty nothingness left behind in their house. There might not even be a house. Perhaps the night and the river have swallowed them all. The Yorona comes with the rain, or maybe it's the other way around. The rain comes with her. Something else also comes, darkness. As his apartment grew dimmer, he remained in the pools of light away from the blackness. Outside in the alley, Yorona scratches the dumpster with her nails as the dogs howl. Ramon, shivering in his bed, thinking about his mother and how she used to drive the ghost away. She is sitting next to a heap of garbage in the middle of the alley, water pouring down her shoulder. She clutches rags and dirt and pieces of plastic against her chest, her head bowed and her face hidden behind the screen of her hair. My children, my children. She looks up at him slowly, the rain coating her face, tracing dirty rivulets along her cheeks. He expects an image out of a nightmare, blood dripping, yellow cat eyes or a worn skull. But this is an old woman. Her skin has been torn by time and her eyes are cloudy. She could be his mother. She might be, for all he knows. He lost her photograph a long time ago and can't recall what she looks like anymore. His mother, who once ran her fingers through his hair and hugged him until the ghosts vanished, now he's too old for ghosts, but the ghosts still come at night. The woman looks at him, parched, forgotten, and afraid. I've lost my children, she whispers with the voice of dead leaves. The alley is a river. He goes to her, sinking into the muck, sinking into the silvery water. He embraces her and strokes as she strokes his hair. The sky above is black and white like the pictures on the old TV set as the wind howls in his ears, the demon wind of his childhood. So watch out for those homeless people, it sounds like. (laughs) Getting crazy out there in Vancouver. Yeah. I thought that one was pretty good. That's crazy. I mean, I I've heard of a uh, I've heard of Lala Yorona, and they've been talking about her in Mexico for a really long time. But also in like the southern states, like Texas, California, Arizona, New Mexico, like the states that border Mexico, they have a lot of a lot of stories about her. But that's wild. The guy the states like, that used to be in Mexico, he was just being followed around by creepy old women. Yeah, Lady in White, dude. That's also another urban legend that's all over the place. Um, they even got one here. We talked about it on our Proctor Valley episode. Um, <clears throat> all right. How about... All right. First one I got for you guys. This is known as the Catskills Crone. Uh, had either of you ever heard of this? I have not. Negative. Well, as fuck, though. Okay, yeah. This one actually... 
Uh, I was reading about this one yesterday, last night. This actually did kind of creep me out, and you can go down a pretty big rabbit hole. Um, but I've got basically the original post and a short follow-up here. Now, this was, was originally posted by user Wigged Hiker Thurway um, in the Paranormal subreddit. Title of the post me and my friend found this creepy statue while hiking, and now strange things are going on. Anyone know what this is? Question mark. So last weekend, my friend and I went hiking in the Catskills, near Sundown Forest for what it's worth, and found this creepy statue while fucking around in some caves. It has nails in its eyes and a noose around its neck. Looks like it might be old. I don't think it's been there very long, but it's weird because the cave was way off the trail. Someone also had a fire in there not too long ago. Here are the pictures. Now he offers up a couple pictures of the crone, which I have included here. I'll put these on the Instagram. Now the statue really wigged me out, but my buddy decided to take it home with him, even though I told him not to. Everyone says that there's devil worshippers that come out here and sacrifice animals to do their spells and shit, so I didn't want anything to do with this thing. A couple days later, my friend calls me and tells me he thinks the statue is haunted because it keeps moving from its spot and he keeps smelling weird stuff. Says he can't sleep at night because banging keeps waking him up. Now last night, someone knocked on his door, but no one was there when he opened it and he's super weirded out. He thinks he has a ghost because of the statue. I think it might just be a coincidence, but I think he's actually scared. Before we go to set the thing on fire, I wanted to see if anyone knows what this is. Anyone ever seen something like this or heard of a statue causing ghosts? So he also says this is a throwaway account because he didn't want to use his main account for spooky stuff like this. Now, he also has an edit on the post, which says, My friend showed up here at 11.30. He's out of his mind scared. Never seen him like this before. I'm going to do my best to remember everything he just told me because it was a lot. But long story short, he's sleeping over because something is in his house. We found the statue on Sunday, and like I said, I told him not to take it because it gave me bad vibes, but he took it anyways. He's been an atheist as long as I've known him, so when he told me something was going on, I thought he was just fucking with me, because I know I, he knows I like to watch paranormal shows, and he always makes fun of me for it. It started out just as knocks and banging, but he said that Wednesday he started waking up in the middle of the night feeling like someone was watching. This kept happening throughout the week, and every time he'd wake up, he would smell a really strong scent like pond water. He doesn't believe any of this stuff, so he just ignored it until a few days ago when the statue moved from his desk into his living room. He says every night since Thursday, it's moved to a different room than where he left it. He thought it was the dog moving it around because it smelled funny, but his dog won't go anywhere near it. He says that his dog has actually peed in the house three nights in a row and she's never done that before. Last night, someone knocked on his door at three in the morning but when he opened it, there was no one there. His motion lights weren't on, and there weren't any cars in his driveway. He said he opened the door and looked outside, and that's when he knew he had made a big mistake. Like he just felt like he shouldn't have opened his door. 
That's why I made this post in the first place. At that point, I didn't have any reason not to believe him because it had gone way beyond a joke and he actually sounded really fucking scared on the phone. He kept telling me that he was going to burn the statue because he knows something followed him home. Anyway, he stayed up all night and decided to go to the mo- and we decided to go to the movies to take his mind off of it. When he got home, he said he felt like everything was fine and decided to go to bed. This is where it gets super fucked up. He says that when he woke up, which wasn't until like 10, it was because his dog was barking like crazy. He said the pond water smell was stronger than ever, and when he went into his hallway, he saw these muddy footprints everywhere. Not like shoe prints, but barefoot. All of his doors and windows were locked. After someone knocked on his door, he freaked out and made sure everything was locked up, so there's no fucking way anyone could have gotten inside. Sitting in the living room was the fucking statue, which had moved again, and he says that's when he started to go near it and heard someone breathing, like his grandfather with a tracheotomy. He pieced the fuck out, and now he is... Now he and his dog are sleeping in my guest room tonight. I've never seen him this scared, and he even started crying. I have no fucking idea what to do. I believe him because he has no reason to lie about this, and it's, it's like I said, it's gone way too far to be a joke. Now, I know that everyone says not to burn it or ever, so what the fuck do we do? He wants me to go to his house and get the statue tomorrow, but I'm too fucking freaked out to take it back to where we found it because I don't want to see whoever put it there. Sorry for the typos. I just wanted to write this out quick so I know I got it all down. Edit 2. Sorry I haven't posted. Things got worse yesterday night, so we sent this statue to the guy in the comments today. So far, so good. Thanks to everyone who actually tried to help and didn't just call us a couple of fucking idiots. Now, allegedly, this post kind of continues, and I guess he sent the little statue to Dana and Greg Newkirk, who are paranormal investigators. They're sort of like the new age, I guess, Ed and Lorraine Warren. They did the Hellier documentary series. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Have not. Nope. All right, well, check it out. But I guess they they told Danny, who made the post, that if he was truly frightened, they could handle it and store the object safely. Now, two days later, Greg Newkirk posted that he received another email. Now, this is the email. It says, thanks for the advice. Today, we went back to my friend's house to get the statue and return it. When we got there, I saw the muddy footprints that he was talking about, and the whole place smelled like a dog that had just rolled around in the dirt. His dog wouldn't even come inside the house. He went to show me where the statue was when he left it last night, but it was gone. When we found it, it was in his hallway, and there was a big crack in the wall like it had been thrown there. He swears that he never touched the thing and left it in his living room. We did what you said and explained that we were sorry about taking it and that we wanted to give it back to the cave and asked it what we should do. I don't know if it was... The feeling you were talking about, but we both just felt like we should never go back to that cave again. He said he felt like we needed to send it to you. When we were standing in the hallway, talking to this thing, his dog started barking like crazy outside. And when we went to see what was going on, we both thought we saw a woman standing in the dark corner of his living room. She was totally naked, really old, and dripping with water. Her eyes sort of glowed in the dark. 
She was hunched over near his shelves. We both freaked the fuck out and ran outside, and this was in the middle of the day. Whoever it was wasn't there when we went back in. We grabbed the statue and apologized again, wrapped it in a pillowcase, put it in a box, and now we are going to send it to you. So, I mean, what are we thinking about the tale? I mean, that's the tale. And like I said, I guess he sent it to this guy um, who runs the thing. And there's actually now a documentary that was released like last month called The Unbinding about this whole thing. Um, now, creepy as that is, and it's a creepy tale, I feel like there's... And nobody's really posting about this. I was trying to find like people... Um, kind of looking at this from a skeptic's viewpoint and I couldn't really find much like a lot of people are fans of these guys and their paranormal work and they were saying oh the documentary is great I haven't seen the documentary yet but I definitely want to check it out because this is one of the more creepy tales I've read now that's super creepy man I mean anything that involves a statue or or an object that's possessed uh, I mean I guess this is, this is legit because those ghost hunters have it, right? Because it could have just been something that some guy made up online. but Yeah, see, that's kind of where I was coming from. Like, the guy said this was a throwaway account. And I mean, how do we know? There's no proof that the ghost hunter guy didn't just write this with a throwaway account, then respond to it to kind of build this thing up. Sort of like the Dybbuk box. Like, it's now become like a modern myth. I mean... These people run like a traveling occult museum. Tickets are anywhere from like 10 to $75 to get in. So, of course, this is going to bolster their views in that. You know, it's basically post an anonymous story about finding this artifact. You make the creepy artifact, got pictures and everything. Respond to your own post. Milk that shit for years. Drive in your uh, traffic, and then boom—you got a fucking documentary film. I mean, it's a classic, like modern myth in the making. You know, for sure. I think the real moral of the story here is when you find a artifact in the woods with a noose around its neck and nails <laughs> in its eyes, we probably just leave that one there. <laughs> right, right. And I'm thinking we maybe even make up our own myth. And instead of the old crone, we call it the old croon. And it's the ghost of Frank Sinatra. Fly me we'll to the moon. You hear it. You hear that singing in your house. It's the old croon. <laughs> I mean, dude, that would Bro, actually be pretty I'll, sick. That'd be sick. I'd be like, what up, Frank? <laughs> yeah. Want to write a song? He leaves cigarettes and pennies on your fucking bedside table. Yeah, I'll make a little carving. all over. A little carving with a, a guy in a fedora. Drinking a bottle of Jack. <laughs> with a noose around <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like some shit I would do in my past it's like oh here's a statue with a noose around its neck let me just take it home i even though i'm you I'm, would take I'm in it? between on the whole ghost thing i i wouldn't now but if we're talking <laughs> 10 years ago probably okay okay yeah apparently i was looking I mean, up they do the traveling museum and you, like i said you can go pay to see it and they say like strictly don't nobody can touch it and i guess people take pictures of it they also live stream it and have seen it move and people have reported 
hearing creepy things and seeing creepy things just from looking at pictures of it. Which, again, to me, this is kind of like a building of a myth like Robert the Doll. You know, it's just another right creepy common object. I mean, not this isn't a common object, but still, it's like a tangible object that they're saying is extremely haunted, you know? Yeah, that's true. I, I would only say my only argument against the skeptics with paranormal stuff, since we've kind of segued into this a little bit, like people kind of making up stories to profit off of versus like people actually having real experiences. Uh-huh. It's really hard to decipher between who's bullshitting and who's actually telling an honest story, especially with like YouTube, you know, like you, you see all these YouTube channels now with like poltergeists in their house. Right. And to be fair, there could be a re- an actual poltergeist in some of their houses, but I feel like a lot of them just set things up. It's like, oh, there's a very opportune camera that's looking at this like yoga ball that's in the middle of the room at night and then <laughs> right. it like moves slightly and then the yoga ball moves and it's like, ooh. And it's just like so perfectly framed to catch all this paranormal activity. So, but then again, on the flip side, you have people talking about this phenomena throughout hundreds actually thousands of years if we're talking about supernatural entities and ghosts and spirits and things like that so it's part of the human experience and it has been for a very long time so that's kind of where i'm at where who knows if it's someone that's just trying to like make money and kind of take advantage of the situation i feel like that's probably like the worst thing you can do because then that's when like really fucked up shit will start happening because you're like not taking it seriously and you're just like fucking around trying to like pull the fucking wool over people's eyes basically okay like a grift um spirits don't like grifters you would say they hate them i would say i would say no (laughs) okay all right now speaking of tricking people or fucking with it not taking things seriously that's a perfect segue to your next story what do do we got next up regale us with this tale rob All right, so just to kind of like backtrack to the Ouija board, which uh, if you haven't checked out episode 119, our last episode, we kind of touched on uh, the whole lore behind the Ouija board, the history of it. Um, But when me and Ryan first moved out, uh, I was going to ODU at the time. I believe Ryan was going to TCC taking some classes, right? Correct. Uh, we got an apartment in the Ghent neighborhood of Norfolk, um, which is like basically like right near downtown Norfolk, uh, kind of near the ODU campus. It was kind of like an in-between for us. Um, but unbeknownst to us, we lived on the corner of Princess Anne and Hampton Boulevard, which is actually the site of a mass grave from the yellow fever pandemic that hit Norfolk in the mid 1800s. I believe it was like 1855. Um, I've read like very numbers on this. Um, some like some estimate like almost 4,000 people. Some say like 3000, but Norfolk was only a city of about like 15, 16,000 at the time. So that's like a good quarter of the population dying from this yellow fever and that and that's not they're not all buried in that grave isn't that wasn't that grave only like 300 people or some shit 
Yeah, it's like three fifty ish, I think. Okay. But okay. I mean, still like quite a number of people buried on this like plot of land that's butts up right to our apartment. Anyways, our buddy Nick, Nick Laus, was uh who was pretty uh not into supernatural and spiritual demonic type stuff uh, ryan and our our buddy jed who's been on the podcast before thought it would be funny to like fuck with him and i mean this is probably like uh, almost would you say like 18 years ago is when we found that ouija board at the two, antique store 2010 probably 2009 2010 because i was at right out of high school yeah so me and Ryan found this Ouija board in an antique store. I was like, oh, this is cool. Didn't really know much about it. Just thought it was like something cool to like fuck around with. So these guys finally decide to like fuck around with it with our friend one night, have a little seance. I come home from class one night and there's like 20 candles lit in the apartment and they're like, oh, we're going to fuck around with Nick. So like we're drinking they're fucking around with it. Nick's scared, doesn't want him to mess with it. I told him they should, probably shouldn't be messing with it, but like we we end up putting it away, having a good night. Uh, I would say maybe like a week or two after that is when you moved out, moved back to the beach. Okay. Uh, anyways, I'm alone in the apartment now, and I'm going to sleep one night. And I hear, like, we had these old, like, crystal fucking doorknobs that were, like, very rattly. So I hear it rattling, and, like, my first thought was, like, oh, shit, someone's trying to, like, get in the house. So I, like, get up, check it out, nothing. And then my second thought was, like, oh, maybe our neighbor, because, like, our neighbor was notorious for just, like, letting himself in the house to, like, come drink or smoke with us. So I, like, go out on the back porch, neighbor's lights are off. All right, whatever, like, maybe I'm just, maybe it's in my head. So I, like, go lay back down. I'm like, at this time, I did not know that the mass grave existed right beside our fucking apartment. (laughs) And uh, I hear it again, I'm like, dude, what the fuck? So I, like, get up, go check the front door, go check the back door again, turn all the lights off. As soon as I like turn my light off in my room, I hear it again, and I'm just like, all right, I'm not turning the lights on this time. And I go out in the hall, and the fucking closet door is like rattling, and I'm just like, oh, Jesus Christ, dude. Like, my first thought is like someone like somehow got their way into the house, like someone's in the fucking closet. And so I like flip the light on, open it nothing's in there there's like some blankets some jackets and the fucking ouija board is in there and i was just like what the fuck dude shut the closet go back to bed i'm just like all right like just my mind playing tricks on me and i hear it again so i like finally go out and like see the doorknob rattling and then i was just like hey like i don't know who you are i don't know what you want but like this is my apartment now and i just want to get some fucking sleep And then I like turned the lights off, never heard anything again, never had any like weird instances again. But then like a week or two after that is when we found out, like we finally decided to go look at the little like marker in the park and find out, oh, it's a fucking 
mass grave right beside my apartment. So that that's like one of the first things that led me to believe like maybe fucking around with the Ouija board has some truth to it. Okay. Now, now see, you didn't say you should have said the power of Christ compels you. I didn't think it was a demon. <laughs> okay. Okay. So just a guy with a fever coming up in there. Yeah. He's got a fever. okay all right well i have a question rob did y'all close the portal i i don't think they did oh well we we used to always say goodbye um you know always like you fucking played with it every day all right well apparently it works just to be like this is my house like you close the portal there's a straggler you're just like look man this is my abode get the fuck out of here say give me your name demon in the name of Jesus Christ, who are you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. All right. Another creepy personal experience. Now, um, Billy, I think you got one more for the for the Loyal Legion. That is correct, good sir. I do have one more. And Rob's story was in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, for everyone that's not familiar with what Nor- Norfolk is, our uh, out of Virginia listeners, which are a plenty, but uh, my story is actually from Yorktown. So it's funny because all of our personal stories have been in and around the Tidewater, Virginia area, which is makes sense. Which has a lot of history. Yeah, it has a lot of history, but also we we spent our formative years there. So um, right, right. When, when we were looking for all this stuff, but. So Yorktown, a bit uh, more north of where we grew up. A bit north, about 45 minutes north, yeah. And um, so this story, I'll give you a little bit of... Northwest to be exact. Oh, yeah, nor- northwest to be exact. <laughs> oh, northwest, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, um, so to give you a little bit of context for the story, I was playing music with rick craft who is now ironically in survive the night my uh current musical project so um interesting there we played in a band this is 2006 around the same time as the nick story um we played in a band and uh, we were always into supernatural stuff ghost hunting on the weekends rick had uh, a van that we used to you know, t- tour in and play shows in, but we called it the danger van because on the weekends we'd take it to random cities around the area just to look for haunted stuff, ghost hunt, fun stuff, right? So this one Friday night, we all uh, talk about getting together and we're like, let's go to Yorktown. It's Friday night, 45 minute drive. There's a lot of creepy stuff up there. Uh, let's check it out. So we all pile in the danger van and we drive up there. And um, we used to always go to this place called uh, Crawford Road. Have you guys ever heard of that in Yorktown? It's pretty infamous. Heard of it, but never been. I don't. I don't believe so. Yeah, Crawford Road. It's uh just. It's a really short stretch of road, kind of in the middle of nowhere. But it's you know it's one of those roads that just has lore around it. You know, there's been I believe there's actually a couple of murders or bodies that were found on the road, et cetera. There's a bridge. And Yorktown is like, um, I guess Yorktown is associated with a lot of old, like, colonial Virginia type shit, right? Would you say? Like, that's the history of, of there? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Jamestown, Yorktown, Williamsburg, like, you know, those cities were some of the, the formative cities of, of our nation, if you think about it. There's a lot of history. Um, 
But anyways, Crawford Road, we went down the road, didn't really experience anything. We had been there two or three times previously, never really experienced anything weird. So we were like, okay, well, that w- that sucked. Let's try to find something else. Well, we didn't really know the Yorktown area. So we were like, let's just stop at a random gas station, ask them what's creepy around here, where it is, and let's go check it out. So it was like 1030 p.m. or something like that. We just pull up to a random gas station in Yorktown, walk in, just a bunch of like eight, like three 18-year-old kids looking like scene, scene boys with tight, like tight jeans and scene hair and shit. We walk in there, we're like, hey, you know, we're trying to find some creepy place to explore. Do you guys know of anything? And these like random, I mean, they're cool. These, these gas clerks were just like, oh yeah, that's funny that you say that. There's this place that's like infamous in Yorktown. Like all the locals know about it. They all talk about it. We call it the poltergeist house because like they essentially said it's this like house in the middle of nowhere. It's been there for a while, but every family that's like moved in had like moved out abruptly and just like literally left all their shit and just left Uh, because there's like a, there's a, there's a demon or not a demon, but like an entity or a poltergeist in the house. And um, it had, basically been shut down and all that like it was dilapidated but they told us where to go we were like awesome thank you guys you guys are the best so we pile back in the danger van and we're driving like i kid you not it was probably like close to a 30 minute drive from what i remember down this like backwoods country road twists and turns and then we finally get to the house and it's just this dilapidated old decrepit house with like the windows smashed out the front doors boarded up and we pull there's like one little driveway we pull into the driveway it's like pushing 11 30 midnight at this point it's getting late pull into the driveway now is this like a uh is this like a mansion big brick house or like a small like blair witch type shack house it wasn't really a shack. It was more, it, it wasn't a mansion and it wasn't a shack. It was kind of like just a two-story house you would see in like Pungo or something. Okay, okay, gotcha. Kind just of like, like from maybe built in like the 50s or 60s kind of thing. Okay, like an old like farmhouse type shit. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay, got it. So we pull up in the driveway. There's one street light and it was on. There was like a light above the driveway and it, it was on when we pulled up, but right when we pulled into the driveway, it went out, like, immediately. And we were like, oh, shit, you know, like, this is creepy. And um, Very spooky. Yeah, we were like, oh, man, what does this mean? But we still went in being being us. So, anyways, we uh, get out of the van, and there's a, a huge field on the side. There's a front door, and there's a side door. And... I remember we were w- walked across the field and we were going to enter in through the side door because the front door was boarded out. The side door, the window was smashed out and it was locked from the outside, but Rick like reached in from the outside and unlocked the door from the outside since the window was smashed out. So he opens the door and we walk into the house in a single file line. When we walk into the room... There was a file cabinet and all the drawers were pulled out. There was paper all over the ground. The paintings on the walls were like, you know, the, the, there were like paintings on the walls that were had smashed to the ground. I mean, it was complete chaos. And when we entered the room, 
the temperature dropped so significantly. I remember it got like so cold. You know how people say when you're in the presence of some energy, it gets really cold and it's oh, like, yeah. and this was in the middle of summer. This yeah. was a summer day. I mean, it was still humid at 1130 PM. Like it was a humid summer night. This is like the exorcist. Water. You could like see your breath in the room. I kid you not. Like I'm, pretty sure we were able to see our breaths kind of and it was just a weird (laughs) thing and we're all piling in there and like we didn't even last like maybe three minutes and we about i mean if i see my breath i'm already noping the fuck out of there yeah i mean it was creepy like we were feeling something right but the thing that really got us to leave was about three minutes after we walked into the building we had heard this noise coming from upstairs what sounded like it was it originated from somewhere upstairs and it was like getting louder like it was coming down the steps and coming towards us and this noise to this day i i we i can't i don't have an explanation for it because it di- it wasn't it wasn't an animal and it wasn't an insect so it was either a human that was in the house like a like a squatter or something like a homeless person which is like trying to scare us out which is scary enough within itself maybe even scarier than a poltergeist to some degree or it was some strange energy but i'll replicate the sound and i'll replicate it kind of like how it started and then grow into what it what it was so it was this is the sound we heard It got to an audible volume where, like, it sounded like it was in the room directly next to the one we were in right around the corner. By that point, we all freaked out, ran top speed out of the house across his field. My friend Mike, who was with us, he ended up falling and cut his knee. I remember he, like, fell down, got hurt. He got a pretty, pretty bad cut, actually classic horror trope yeah man you know you gotta you gotta always have that dude that's that stumbling down, or yeah. you know, that gets killed first or whatever <laughs> uh-huh. um but yeah man, I mean it was just it was something that we uh shook me to my core because it was just the scariest sound i've ever i i, I don't know what it was and okay now did just, you guys did creepy. you hear any like footprints or anything Footsteps, I guess. Nope. Okay, so nope, was it didn't hear any footsteps. So it was kind of like a disembodied voice, just like hanging in the air there. Pretty much. And did you ever do any research into the house, like what, like the history or or that area or anything? I never did, but um, this is back when I was dating my ex Erica. If you remember Erica, and I told her about it, and she was. Um, she was like really big into the paranormal too and stuff. So she was like, Oh, you gotta, we gotta go. You gotta take me back. I was like, first of all, I, d- I personally don't want to go back. Cause that was terrifying. But if you want to go back, I was like, what's going to happen is I'm going to drive 45 minutes out there. And then you're going to be too scared to get out of the car. And then I'm gonna have to drive 45 <laughs> minutes back. And that's exactly what happened. I drove all the way out there. Like the next Friday with her, and then we drew, we pulled into the parking lot and she just 
was too afraid to even step out of the car. And I was like, I fucking called this. All right. That is definitely a creepy one, man. Maybe we do some, we, we got to try to, again, do some research into this history, find the history of this fucking house, dude. Do you remember the Man, uh, the next time we're back, we're all three in the Tidewater area. Sorry to cut you off, Rob, but we, we got to check this place out. Yeah. Like, I got to find out where this place is. <laughs> That's what I was saying. I was saying, do you remember the address of this fucking place? Oh, no way. Like, I feel like that it might just be lost to oblivion at this point, but all right, we well, have the internet. Yeah, and if any Yorktown locals are listening and you know the story of the house, uh, like I said, let us know. Get in contact with us. Um, let us know if you've ever heard of it. Um, all right, so last one I got for you guys. This is the last one. Offering it up for all you psychopaths out there that love the paranormal. The coup de gras. Yeah, the coup de gras. This... <laughs> I got to say is probably the scariest thing I've ever read. This really like freaked me out to my core when I read it. Uh, one summer I got really into reading creepypastas when I was home from college and I would just stay up all night reading this shit and like go on walks around my neighborhood um, and even like jog at night sometimes. And this story really freaked me out. Kind of stopped doing that for a while after reading this story. So um this was originally posted by user blue underscore title in the subreddit Let's Not Meet. Now, the title is The Smiling Man. About five years ago, I lived downtown in a major city in the U.S. I've always been a night person, so I would often find myself bored after my roommate, who, who was decidedly not a night person, went to sleep. To pass the time, I used to go for long walks and spend the time thinking. I spent four years like that, walking alone at night and never once had a reason to feel afraid. I always used to joke with my roommate that even the drug dealers in the city were polite. But all of that changed in just a few minutes of one evening. It was a Wednesday, somewhere between one and two in the morning, and I was walking near a police patrolled park quite a, f quite a ways from my apartment. It was a quiet night. Even for a weeknight, very little traffic and almost no one on foot. The park, as it was most nights, was completely empty. I turned down a short side street in order to loop back to my apartment when I first noticed him. At the far end of the street, on my side, was the silhouette of a man, dancing. It was a strange dance similar to a waltz but he finished each box with an odd forward stride. I guess you could say he was dance walking, headed straight for me. Deciding he was probably a drunk, I stepped as close as I could to the road to give him the majority of the sidewalk to pass me by. The closer he got, the more I realized how graceful he was moving. He was very tall and lanky and wearing an old suit. He danced closer still, until I could make out his face. His eyes were open wide and wild, head tilted back slightly, looking off at the sky. His mouth was formed in a painfully wide cartoon of a smile. Because the eyes and the smile, I decided to cross the street before he danced any closer. I took my eyes off him to cross the empty street. As I reached the other side, I glanced back. 
and then stopped dead in my tracks. He had stopped dancing and was standing with one foot in the street, perfectly parallel to me. He was facing me, but still looking skyward, smile still wide on his lips. I was completely and utterly unnerved by this. I started walking again, but kept my eyes on the man. He didn't move. Once I had put about a half a block between us, I turned away from him for a moment to watch the sidewalk in front of me. The street and sidewalk ahead of me were completely empty. Still unnerved, I looked back to where he had been standing to find him gone. For the briefest of moments, I felt relieved. Until I noticed him. He had crossed the street and was now slightly crouched down. I couldn't tell for sure due to the distance and the shadows, but I was certain he was facing me. I had looked away from him for no more than 10 seconds, so it was clear that he had moved very fast. I was so shocked that I stood there for some time staring at him, and then he started moving toward me again. He took giant, exaggerated, tiptoed steps as if he was a cartoon character sneaking up on someone, except he was moving very, very quickly. I'd like to say at this point I ran away or pulled out my pepper spray or my cell phone or anything at all, but I didn't. I just stood there, completely frozen, as the smiling man crept towards me. And then he stopped again, about a car length away from me, still smiling his smile, still looking to the sky. When I finally found my voice, I blurted out the first thing that came to mind. What I meant to ask was, what do you want? In an angry, commanding tone. What came out was a whimper. What? Regardless of whether or not humans can smell fear, they can certainly hear it. I heard it in my own voice, and that only made me more afraid. But he didn't reach, he didn't react to it at all. He just stood there, smiling. And then after what felt like forever, he turned around, very slowly, and started dance walking away. Just like that, not wanting to turn my back to him again, I just watched him go, until he was far enough away to be almost out of sight. And then I realized something. He wasn't moving away anymore, nor was he dancing. I watched in horror as the distant shape of him grew larger and larger. He was coming back my way, and this time, he was running. I ran too. I ran until I was off the side road and back onto a better lit road with sparse traffic. Looking behind me then, he was nowhere to be found. The rest of the way home, I kept glancing over my shoulder, always expecting to see the stupid smile, and he was never there. I lived in that city for six months after that night, and I never went out for another walk. There was something about his face that always haunted me. He didn't look drunk. He didn't look high. He looked completely and utterly insane. And that is a very, very scary thing to see. Yeah, that's really creepy. Wow. I definitely wouldn't be jogging after that one. Oh yeah, I mean, I took uh, I took a hiatus for a while, um, because I always there's this 
one dark road by the elementary school where uh, my parents live. And that's the road I would always kind of walk on. And that's what I picture in my head when I read that story. And, you know, just walking at night for me, big fucking nope after that one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there you have it. The smiling man and the other, the other tales, the, uh, the Catskill crone, uh, you know, take a look at that. Cause you, like I said, you can go down the rabbit hole and maybe we'll do a full episode on that in the future. Um, and you know, maybe we'll get into some of these other creepy tales like, um, the watcher or hinter Kfac or maybe La Llorona, or if we find out about some of these paranormal houses you've been exploring in bill maybe we'll uh get some more info on that um maybe we can tell the tale of the old new jersey croon the new jersey croon is that the jersey boys <laughs> that's frank dude <laughs> okay yeah oh yeah frank sinatra yeah we'll have to start making our creepypasta of the old the old croon you've heard of the jersey devil my way <laughs> what You've heard of the Jersey Devil. Now here's the Jersey Croon. The New Jersey Croon. That's a good one. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, if you guys out there have any any creepy stories, like I said, let us know. Um, on this one, I did want to cite uh, weekendinweird.com, which has a lot of follow-up to the Catskill Croon. Um, other than that, you know, the stories were pulled from the subreddits mentioned. Um, and like I said on the last episode, if you listeners out there have some paranormal stories or some strange encounters, alien encounters, or maybe you just want to leave us a nice message, uh, give us a call and maybe you'll be featured on an upcoming episode. We have an open line where you can uh, leave a message and you can even text. Maybe I'll text back. Uh, that number is 619-866-6432. Um, so, you know, let us know if you got anything creepy or weird or, uh, just want to give us a shout out and, uh, you know, stay safe out there while you're walking at night. Uh, maybe you won't, hopefully you don't run into the smiling man or any other, uh, spooks in the night. And on that loyal legion, as always, thank you for tuning in. As Ryan said, if you want to give us your own spooky story, feel free to give that number a ring or if you just want to say what's up. Um, as always, you can hit us up on the podcast, Instagram podcast from outer space, or check out our website, podcast from outer space.com, where you can check out our merch. We got some new merch coming in for the old spooky season. So, uh, that should be pretty cool. And, you know, I can't say it enough. Thank you guys so much for listening to us. Yeah, definitely. Thank you all so much for the listens. This was a fun episode, just kind of talking about some creepy stuff out there on the web and also some personal stories um, to mirror what Rob and Ryan both said. If you guys got stories, we want to hear them. So uh, 619-866-6432. Hit us up on that number. And uh, with that, hope you all have a great October. Halloween is almost upon us. My personal favorite holiday. So um, keep a lookout for more episodes and that Halloween special that's coming out uh, your way October 31st. So, uh, Y'all have a great uh, rest of your week. Peace.